Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 16, verses 13. Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. John, thanks for doing our reading. Man, that song was so good. Any questions? <laughs> you need Jesus in your heart. Man, give him your heart. So good, so good. Well, what's bothering you today? Let's pray about it. Can you join me? Lord, we've come here to offer praises But at the same time, there are things that are distracting us from that praise, things that are bothering us. It might be something in our mind, a thought. It might be a person in our life. It might be something with our bodies that's bothersome. And Lord, it might even be something that we think that you have done. And so we come to you, and even before we can sincerely offer our praises, maybe we need to settle some things with you. We offer to you the things that bother us today. We present them to you and ask you to forgive us where forgiveness is necessary. We ask you to heal us where healing is needed. We ask you to help us forgive others where that needs to take place. We pray, Lord, that you might fill our minds with what is true and honorable and pure and praiseworthy and remove those thoughts that are bothersome. And Lord, we pray now that You'd enable us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to praise you well, to honor you, to serve you, to give you a reflection of the glory that you so deserve, reflected from us. May your Spirit fill us. May your Spirit teach us. And Lord, while we're praying, we want to pray for those who are suffering hardship because of the government shutdown. We pray, Lord, that you'd minister to them in a physical way as well as emotionally, that you would provide for them and show us how perhaps we, as individuals in a church, can help meet their needs. We pray that our government leaders would work through their differences, and come up with an equitable solution that would be good for our nation. And that might be done this week. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A friend of mine sells chicken feed to people in Greece. He lives there and he sells chicken feed. He makes a business out of it. And One of his favorite publications that he gets is the Chicken Gazette. I don't know if you subscribe to that. 
But he told me that in one particular issue of the Chicken Gazette, there was a true story, and it was about the FAA, the Federal Aviation Association, that has a gun for shooting chickens. Now, they don't shoot at the chickens. They actually shoot chickens. I guess they go to the supermarket, and they get a whole chicken that's already been plucked and everything, and and they shoot this chicken in order to test the integrity of an airplane windshield. And so they shoot it against the windshield of an airplane, and the gun shoots this chicken at 500 miles an hour to simulate an airplane flying and running into a bird. Well, our friends across the pond in the UK heard that we had such a marvelous chicken gun, and they wanted to know if they could borrow it because they wanted to test their windshields to see if the integrity of the windshields on the British planes meet the American standards and whether their planes can withstand a bird at 500 miles an hour. So they borrowed our gun, and they loaded it, and they shot at their windshield, but they had a problem. The chicken went right through the windshield, right through the pilot's seat, and right into the bulkhead behind the pilot's seat. They found that unsatisfactory. They tried it again. Same thing happened through the windshield, through the pilot's seat, in the bulkhead. Three times this happened. Finally, they lifted up their hands in despair and said, we better contact the Americans and have them review what we're doing and find out what's wrong here. So they sent all the data to America. The Americans came back with some advice. And the advice was this. Next time, don't use a frozen chicken. And that, as Paul Harvey, that great journalist, would say, is the rest of the story. Your life is a story. Your story is still being written. And you're the main character of the story that's being written. Some of you are in chapter 3. Some of us are in chapter 50-something or 60-something, perhaps. But the most important part of your story and my story is what we will call the rest of the story. If you take out your sermon outline, you'll see that's our first principle. Number one is the rest of your story is what matters most. The rest of your story is what matters most. And I'll be talking about this, and I'll explain it in a moment, but first I want to remind you where we've been. We're in a series entitled Encountering Jesus, And we've been examining different people's lives when they encounter Jesus. And in our first message, we saw a filthy rich man and a morally bankrupt woman who both encountered Jesus. And they both encountered the grace of our Lord. And they discovered that grace is getting the forgiveness that you need, not the forgiveness that you think you deserve. And neither this man or this woman perhaps deserved forgiveness, but they received it from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord tells us that He expects us to offer that same type of grace to other people who we think don't deserve our forgiveness. And that's called grace. The second encounter was with a young widow who had just lost her son. There's a funeral 
procession, and Jesus meets this funeral procession, and he has compassion on this widow. And we saw that compassion is your pain in my heart, where I experience what you're going through emotionally. And Jesus felt her pain, and we also saw that in the presence of Jesus, dead people have a habit of not staying dead. And so Jesus raised this young man from the dead and gave him back to his mother. Today we are going to look at the rest of the story through Jesus' eyes of two men who have died. And in this story we're going to be given the clearest glimpse of hell given in the entire scripture. As we study the rest of the story, because the rest of the story is what matters most. But before we look at these two men, I want to look at your story for a few minutes. Your story is still being written. And you don't judge a book by chapter 3 or chapter 7. You have to judge it by the rest of the story. You have to judge a book by the conclusion. And your life is the same way. There's a whole lot more to your life than the present chapter you're in. And you might be in a chapter that's especially wonderful, and you think, my life is the best. But the chapter and the pages are going to turn. And so some of you might be in a chapter, and you're going, this is the worst chapter of my life. My life is terrible. But the page is going to turn. And eventually there's going to be a grand conclusion to your life. The rest of the story is what matters most. When you come to the last chapter of your mortal life and the first chapter of your eternal life. That's the rest of your story and that's what matters most. In Luke chapter 16, we have a story unlike any other story ever told. It's a one-of-a-kind thriller told by the master storyteller, Jesus himself. It's really a toenail-curling, hair-on-the-back-of-your-neck, standing-up kind of story. But what happens with this story is people get so caught up in the details of the story, they miss the point of the story. They get so caught up in what's happening in hell and the dialogue there and, and what hell might be like, they miss the point of the story. In the 21st century, we have preachers called prosperity preachers. They teach a health and wealth gospel. It's a heresy. It's a gospel that says that God wants you rich financially. And it caters to our flesh, which wants to be rich financially. And it puts it under the guise of something spiritual. So you say, well, this is spiritual to be materially rich. Now, we have these prosperity gospel preachers in the 21st century, but they also existed in the 1st century. People who taught that if you were financially wealthy, it's because you were spiritual. And that if you were physically poor, it's because you were spiritually poor. And these people were called Pharisees. And Jesus hates such false teaching. I know that because of what it says in Luke 16, beginning in verse 13. 
Before Jesus tells his story to illustrate his point, he tells you what the point is. And here's the point, verse 13 of Luke 16. No servant can serve two masters. It's like this flashlight that I showed the children. You either fill it with the battery or you fill it with something else, but you can't fill it with both. you got to choose. And Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot. He doesn't say should not. He says you cannot serve God and riches. If you fill this flashlight with money, you can't fill it with the battery. And if you fill it with the battery, you're not going to fill it with money. Verse 14. Now the Pharisees, the prosperity preachers of the first century, who were lovers of money, they had filled their hearts with a love of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at Jesus. Ha ha, what do you know? What do you mean? And Jesus said to them, these prosperity preachers of the first century, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. You tell men the reason we are physically wealthy and have all this stuff is because God really loves us and we really love God and we're really spiritual. And men buy it. But God knows your hearts. He knows that God's not in it. You have no love for God. God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable, detestable in the sight of God. Now, it's important to understand what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying it's wrong to be wealthy. He's saying it's wrong to love wealth. By the way, do you know who the wealthy people are? The wealthy people are the people that have more than you. That's what we all think. None of us think we're wealthy. We always think it's that other person that's wealthy. The person who has a nicer car or a nicer house. Or ni- They're the wealthy person. But there's somebody who thinks you're wealthy. And in other words, like 90% of the world thinks you're wealthy. Because you're sitting in this room today in America. And you are. And so am I. It's not having wealth that's a problem. It's loving it. And it's a problem for both the poor and the rich. The poor can fall into the habit of loving money too. It's not how much you have that's a problem. It's how much of what you have has you that's the problem. Principle number two, how you are living reveals what you are loving. How you are living reveals what you are loving, and you can't be loving God if you are loving money. You cannot be loving God if you are loving money. Look again at what Jesus says in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches. Now, the problem that most of us have is that we believe this in theory, 
but it's hard to live it out in practice. Because everything in our flesh desires wealth and riches. And everything in our society is teaching us to love wealth and riches. And that's why Jesus says you have to look at the rest of the story. If you just look at a portion of the story, you're going to agree with the world's teachings. But you need to see what happens after this life. At any one particular time of your life, your chapter may be wonderful or it may be terrible. But what matters is the conclusion. So Jesus starts to tell the story in verse 19. Now there was a certain rich man, we don't know his name, and he habitually dressed in purple. Purple was a very expensive dye. If you had purple clothes, you were wealthy. And fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. Every day was a party for this wealthy man. By contrast, verse 20, there was a certain poor man named Lazarus, and he was laid at the gate covered with sores. Laid at the gate. So he's probably a cripple. He's laid there. He's covered with sores. Could be leprosy, which was common then. He's laid at the gate of the palace of the rich man. Longing to be fed. He's starving. With the crumbs which are falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his source. Now, at this early chapter of these two men's lives, which one do you want to be? Honestly, do you want to be laid as a beggar on the ground with dogs licking your sores? Or do you want every day to be a party and have nice clothes? I'm guessing you're like me. I don't want to be Lazarus. The Pharisees hear this story and they're shaking their head up and down going, yes, that rich man, he's spiritual. That Lazarus, oh man, he must not love God. God doesn't love him. We all crave the good life. The danger is we compare page 126 in our life with page 126 of someone else's life. Well, don't do that. That really doesn't matter. What matters is the rest of the story, the conclusion of the story. As the Pharisees hear this story, they have no compassion for Lazarus. His pain isn't in their heart. They're not going, oh, poor Lazarus. Years ago, I was walking the streets of Bombay, India with my Indian pastor friend. You walk the streets because you can't walk the sidewalk, filled with excrement, animals, humans. There are people there, cripples, from crippled from polio, twisted limbs. There are lepers covered with sores, faces defigured, missing digits on their hands and their feet. There are blind people. People are begging, they're sleeping, people everywhere. I was talking to my Indian pastor friend about them, and he was telling me there's no sympathy for these people. The culture is Hindu, mostly. Hindus believe in karma. You're getting what you deserve. They believe these people had done something in a previous life that was bad, that was wrong, that was evil, that was unspiritual, and they're suffering the consequences in this life. 
So no sympathy. While I was there, I was a guest in a polio home filled with children who had had polio and were disfigured. Sitting sometimes on cardboard so they could scoot themselves around because their legs didn't work. Some of them, their arms didn't work, so they couldn't do that either. I asked the lady who was running the polio home why on earth these kids had contracted polio in this day and age, 20th century at that time. My own sister contracted polio here in Hawaii in the 50s and is partially crippled because of it. So I'm sensitive to that and wondering, why are these kids crippled? Don't you have the vaccine? Yeah, we have the vaccine. Oh, it must be too expensive for the poor. Oh, no, it's free. Then why on earth did these kids get polio? And she told me, well, their parents are Hindus. It's karma. Parents believe if they're going to get polio, they're going to get polio. It's the punishment for how they lived in a previous life. I was appalled. The wonderful thing about it, though, is this polio home was run by Christians. And these little children came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so chapters 1 to 10 might be horrible, but the rest of the story is amazing. They're going to get resurrected bodies and live with Jesus forever. But you've got to play the movie forward. John Townsend, the Christian counselor, tells us of our lives. You've got to look at the conclusion. You have to look at the rest of the story. Like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, Hinduism associates material prosperity with godliness. And Jesus hates that. Because everyone, regardless of social standing, regardless of physical or mental health, is loved equally by Jesus. Equally by Jesus. And is given the same opportunity for eternity. Yes, thank the Lord. Which brings us to principle number three. Your physical wealth And you could put the word health there too. It's not an indicator of your spiritual wealth. And you could also put health there as well. Your spiritual wealth or health is not an indicator of your... I mean, your physical wealth or health is not an indicator of your spiritual health or wealth. You know, it would be safe to assume that while Lazarus was alive, that he asked God why. God, why? I love you. Why am I a beggar? Why am I hungry? Why do I have all these sores? Why does that man living in that beautiful home have all these riches and he doesn't love you and I love you? Why, God? Don't you love me? I'm sure Lazarus cried out, Lord, help me! And it seemed like God didn't. Ironically, the name Lazarus is a Greek form of the Hebrew name Eliezer, which means God helps. Must have felt like a mockery to Lazarus. When people says, hey, God helps, here's a crust of bread. 
But then you come to the rest of the story. And you've got to come to the rest of the story before you draw your conclusions about life and about God and about loving Him. Because it's the conclusion that counts the most. It's how the story ends that really matters. More than 30 years ago, I decided I would read what is called The Greatest Novel Ever Written, War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. I think it should be called The Largest Novel Ever Written. I went to a used bookstore. I got a used copy, paperback, 1,500 pages. And I decided I was going to tackle this behemoth of a classic, War and Peace. I picked it up to read it, and then I noticed something important. My used copy was missing some pages. Now, if it's in the middle someplace of 1,500 pages, who cares? Maybe even at the beginning. But mine was missing the conclusion. The end of the book was missing. I wasn't going to read 1,500 pages and not know how the book ended. So I closed it and threw it in the trash. Because it's the rest of the story that really matters. It's the conclusion. No matter how good or how mediocre or how bad your life is, what really matters is the rest of the story. Well, let's pick up the story as Jesus tells us about Lazarus and the rich man, and it takes a strange twist at the end. It's like one of those Alfred Hitchcock movies that all of a sudden at the end there's a twist. Verse 22. Now it came about that the poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, that's the Greek word for the place of the dead, The rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And Abraham's bosom in this place is what we would consider paradise. And he cried out and said to Father Abraham, Have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received the good things. You had the good life. And likewise, Lazarus, bad things. He had the bad life. But now he's being comforted here, and you are in agony. Which life do you want now? As you hear the rest of the story. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. In other words, you can't change the end of your story once you get to the last chapter. It's too late. All of us are writing our story. Now, none of us wrote chapter 1 of our life or chapter 2 or 3. Somebody else wrote those chapters. But somewhere in the middle, we get to start cooperating and we write some of the chapters. But the most important chapter that you can write and I can write is the conclusion. God says you can write the conclusion. Heaven or hell. Eternal bliss or eternal torment? Regret forever? Or complete satisfaction forever? And so Jesus is telling the story and he says, you know, life for you might be miserable now. 
And I don't know why your life might be miserable and my life might be wonderful. I don't know. All I know is it doesn't really matter when you get to the conclusion. You're going to want the right conclusion no matter how you lived this life. Because the rest of the story is what really, really matters. Apostle Paul says the same thing in different words in 2 Corinthians 4. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. He says in verse 17, For momentary light affliction. This is a man who was beaten with rods, whipped, stoned, in prison. goes, momentary light affliction, okay? I don't know what you're going through, but he calls these things momentary light affliction. Is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That's the end of the story. The rest of the story. While we look not at the things which are seen, that's a present life, but at the things which are not seen, that's the rest of the story. For the things which are seen are temporal. Those are the chapters you're writing right now. But the things which are not seen, the rest of the story is eternal. That's what really matters. The rest of the story. I decided to buy a new copy of War and Peace. I decided to read through the whole thing, and I did, and I got to the conclusion. And you know how that book ends? I'm not going to tell it you. You're going to have to read it yourself. (laughs) Just like you will have to find out for yourself the rest of your story. You're writing it. You choose it. Which do you choose? Would you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. So you can have a private moment. I don't know what's in your heart. You and God do. Is God there? Is Jesus there? He comes when you say, Jesus, come into my life and save me, or something to that effect. And then he comes in. Just knowing he died for your sins, just knowing he rose from the grave is good, but it's not enough. You have to say, Lord... Come into my life. I believe. I place my faith in you. Let him fill that place in your heart that is shaped like Jesus. (coughs) Christian, are you living as if you truly believe in the rest of the story? Lord, help us to live that way. Help us to live like we truly believe the rest of the story, that we will spend eternity with you. Help us to live that way and to share with others the importance of writing that last chapter. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you love us so much. It's in Jesus' saving name we pray. Amen. My brothers and sisters, may you be filled with the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may you yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you soon.